Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Well, for 23 seasons, the man who directly succeeded Ted Williams in left field at Fenway Park, Carl Yastrzemski. Last night, for the first time ever, his grandson played in left field for the San Francisco Giants. And in his second time at the plate, he did this. In this park alone, 3-1, Yastrzemski, it's a high drive center field. Jackie Bradley going back, looking up, it's gone! And you can only imagine what's going through the head of Mike Yastrzemski. And his whole family, he has homered at Fenway Park, his 20th of his rookie year. And just about everybody who's standing up for Mike Yastrzemski, wow. What a cool moment that is to straightaway center field. And his family is just going nuts. And they should be. What a great moment. His grandfather, a Hall of Famer, one of the few in baseball history with 3,000 career hits and 400 home runs. Mike Yastrzemski, by the way, played here in State College a couple of years ago when he was with the Aberdeen Ironbirds. And then the Orioles got rid of him, but then they get rid of most guys that can actually play the game. All right, so with that, we bring in Donnie Collins, Scranton Times Tribune. Donnie, welcome back. Great to have you with us. How you doing, Steve? I have a great Mike Yastrzemski story if you want to hear it real quick. Please. Oh, please. Because, I mean, I yeah, thought it was great to talk with a couple of years ago. Yeah, he's, he, uh, he, well, he, he obviously came through AAA and, and played here in Scranton, and I, and I do a little bit of a uh, covering of the baseball team here as, as some people might know. But, uh, you know, it's like one of those old-time fans who's sitting in the front row every night, the season ticket holders and minor league baseball for the last 30 years. So he sits there, and, and Mike Yastrzemski walks by, and he goes, Hey, Yastrzemski. You know, the Red Sox used to have a player by that, by that name. He was pretty good. And I, I, I'm like, oh, he's going to ask him if he's his grandfather or not. But uh, he, did, he didn't. He was just kind of trying to inform this guy that Carl Yastrzemski existed. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike was very nice about it. And he kind of just, yeah, yeah, that's my grandfather. It was, it was, it was uh, I thought about that last night when I read that he hit the home run. Yeah, because... Um, uh, uh... His dad, because I think it's Mike Yastrzemski Jr., I believe. Yeah. His dad, his dad actually had a cup of coffee in the majors. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, it, very briefly, I forget with who, but um, I, I know he was a professional player. But yeah, he was the, Mike's the first. Mike Jr. is the first Yastrzemski. Carl, uh, a lot of them played, but uh, he's the first one since Carl to make his big league. Exactly right. So yeah, he is, uh, and again, great kid gets it. Uh, the difference is, when you look at his jersey, you see Yastrzemski spelled in the back, and it takes up a, like a semicircle all the way around the number. Well, remember, when Yaz played, and the only time the Red Sox have names in the back of their jersey is when they're on the road. 
Well, when Yaz played, the Red Sox didn't have the name in the back of the jersey, period. So yeah. to see it spelled out on the back, going all the way around, <laughs> it's like when uh, Gerald Southall Lamacchia was with the Red Sox, going all the way, just kept yeah. on going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Giants have him. They have, they, I think they have Samarja also. So they have oh, two dear. of the longer names in the league. But I, I don't, I don't know if they have the uh, the names on all of their jerseys yet either. But I think yeah, you know, at, at home, at home, the Giants do not have names in the back. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so three and zero quarter pole of the regular season. What do you think so far, Donnie? Yeah, hey, not to to give away the lead for my column tomorrow, which I'm literally doing by saying this. But <laughs> Penn State is whatever you think they are right now. I mean, if, if you if you think they were if if they were uh, this this young team that that's building towards something big and, and going to show flashes of greatness, that's what they are. If, if they're not ready quite for prime time and, and you could want to nitpick some, some, some things they're not great at, then you could do that too. I, I, I think we've seen a lot of, of good and some, and some not so good. Um, they're very explosive, as, as, as everybody knows. But you know, I, I think yeah, they're one of those teams on, on third and one, they can get you 40 yards, and, and, but they can't get you one. So it, 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 it's, it's, it's interesting to, to see what, what they've done so far in terms of explosive plays on offense as opposed to being able to to churn the clock out and you know you know gain you know put together a long drive but but I, defensively they've they've statistically done very well except they haven't gotten to the pass so I, I think there's there's good and bad but hey they're 3 and 0 and and when you're 3 and 0 the good is far outweighed the bad I mean I know I've said and I've talked to groups and I've said look here's the talent line it's up there between 90 and 100 I said, but here's the second line. It's the experience line. I said, the question to me is going to be when do the two intersect? Now, obviously, they haven't intersected yet. Uh, where are they lacking in experience, which is keeping those two lines from intersecting, in your opinion, right now? I, I think it's I think it's everywhere. I, I, I really, like, to varying degrees, I think they left some points. They're the team that left points on the field against Pitt. I mean, let's face it, that game could have been... 24, 10, 31, 10, something like that. It, Clifford, I thought he was a little jacked up. There's his first, you know, real big rivalry atmosphere as a starter. And, and, and I, you know, he overthrew, a, I think it was Hamler was wide open on, on a play. They, they have to score there. Uh, he right. missed them. He just overthrew him. I, I think there were some other plays where, where he missed. Um, I, I think also the receiving core. I, I, you know, James said there was a, the play, the third down play at the end of the game against Pitt. You know, someone ran the wrong route. I, I mean, I have my opinion who it is. But I don't know for sure, but you know, th- th- I think they've had some some instances where the receivers didn't run the right route, and they've run themselves into some problems that way. But I, I, I think it's, it's, those are all things that can that can fix themselves. I mean, defensive ends have not, have not figured out a way to get to the quarterback consistently, and and I, and I think some of that is experience at, at, at this point, but. You know, 2016 at this time, experience was not meeting potential as we clearly saw. And then once it did, it did it in the snap of a finger against Ohio State, and they were they were good to go to the Rose Bowl after that. So I, I think you have to give it time, and you know they they have to weather the course and and and, and all that stuff. But I, I think right now they're they're good enough talent wise to just outscore people, and and they've been resilient enough to fall behind at halftime. 
go into the halftime tied and, and then come out and make the adjustments and, and play well. But they just, they just haven't been able to put together a full game. And I, and I think the big reason for that is they're young. This has been a program that has featured a dominant running back for years. This year it's been four guys so far. What have you thought of the four? Uh, individually, I, I think they're all pretty good. I mean, I really – I think the, the reason people like Noah Kane as much as they do is because that's the kind of guy they're used to having. Give him the ball even, – even Franklin says it. Give him the ball, he's going to get hit after three and fall forward for five. He's going to get hit after four and fall forward for six. And that's every great running back Penn State's ever had. He'll break a few. But he's going to be able to move the sticks. He's going to put you in good third-down situations. And, 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 and I think Penn State fans identify with that. Devin Ford obviously broke the big run in the, in, in the Idaho game. And, and last week it was, it was Journey Brown. And, you, and, and, and I get the coaching staff's point. You can't leave those guys on the bench because they're, they're going to break runs for you. They're, they're going to break the occasional 60, 70, 80-yard run. That's just the, the type of back they are. And, 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 and they'll, they'll get you a couple yards here and there. But, but they're home run hitters. And you play home run hitters. So I, I, I really individually like those three backs. And if Ricky Slade could hold on to the ball, I think he's right there with him. He's he's definitely to me the best pass catcher out of the three. So he, he he's a, he's a very viable weapon as, as as a as a dual threat guy back there. But to me, it's it's more it's it's not how much I like the guys and and and, and I think they they all could play to a certain level. It's finding the role that each of them fits best. I I, I really thought you know seventeen ten you got the ball you're trying to you know you're, you're trying to get a couple of first downs in ice Pittsburgh. And Noah Kane's not out there. He's the guy that fits that that style best. He's going to get you that those couple of yards every every time. You know, earlier in the game, yeah, you could you could roll the dice in Devin Ford and and, and Journey and, and and see if they see if they pop a big one when you, when you need a when you need a big play in the running game. There, there's ways you could play them all. I, I think Penn State's still trying to figure that out, but certainly all four of them are are elite talents. And you know, we'll see how we'll see going forward if the way they're used changes. But but I, I think at the end of the games going forward, I think you're certainly going to see more of Noah Kane if they have the lead. How have you felt about the play of the linebackers, Jan Johnson, Micah Parsons, and Cam Brown? Yeah, I mean they're they're piling up the big numbers, and and and, and I think the, the you know when when they've needed them to rush the passer, they've all done a good job. I mean Jan got to the quarterback against Pitt. Obviously, I, I think Cam Brown could get there. You know, pretty consistently, he's shown that over the years. And, and Micah's Micah. He's he's gonna he's gonna do what needs to be done. I thought he took the game over in the second half against Pitt. But there's gonna be less teams on the schedule like Pitt and Buffalo who are just gonna try to pound the ball at you. And you know, in the running game, and then you know, you know, Pitt ended up having to throw fifty times, so so that, so that changed a little bit. But but they're they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna run into some more spread teams. I think that's really where you're gonna see maybe not the numbers increase for the linebackers, but you're really gonna see all their talent. I mean, I, I think they they're really good against the pass. They yeah, and and they they're they're versatile on the blitz. I mean, they have two of those guys who definitely can get there consistently. So I, I think they're gonna be exciting. I. I, I you know, I I really believe that they've been better than I've expected so far this year, and I, and I thought they'd be good. No, no, no. The first game aside, they they didn't play long enough to pile up numbers, but the last two games, I, I thought they've been a, a real strength. Well, it's only three games, but what have you thought of Jordan Stout? <laughs> I, I I I think he might be the best 
graduate, or not a graduate, the best transfer portal player obtained by anybody in the country. Now, I, and I get what I'm saying there. I get Jalen Hurts has put up great numbers, and Oklahoma's nowhere without him and, and all that. But, but you have to understand, you, you got Jordan Stout for three more years, and last year, the, you know, they, they, were, they, went out, they threw freshmen out there, and, and it's probably to some degree not fair to evaluate Rafael Chega and, and, and uh, Pinnegar on being out there as true freshmen. They were thrown to the wolves. And, and we've seen Pinnaker. Pinnaker's been really, really good this year, I, I think. He's made, he's made really, really big strides. But Stout changes everything for this team. You, you should never lose field position battles when you have Stout and Gilligan. He, he, he just shouldn't. He, he, could, he could really power the ball through the end zone every time if he wanted to. I think it's 25 out of 26 where he has, and the other one was fair caught the two. But to, even beyond that, the fact that you can now kick a 50-yard field goal and have a legitimate right. chance to hit it changes your offense. I mean, you could. I think it makes you more of a dangerous offense because now, now you you have to defend a team that might run the ball on third and seven and put it, you know, put yourself in field goal range at a spot in the field where it wouldn't before. So I think it makes you have to defend more plays. And you know, I think those two guys going forward as a tandem. Are, are really interesting to me, and it, it, it's funny because I remember years ago, and this was back when the when they had the scholarship restrictions and things, and and, and Bill O'Brien kind of, you know, pish posh the idea of ever giving a, a, a scholarship to a kicker. But this is what happens when you give a scholarship to a kicker. You, you sometimes you get a great one, and and I think Stout's great. I, I, I and, for, and for two more years of him, I, I think to be able to get him off the basically off the scrap heap because. He wasn't getting. He was going to get a scholarship at the school he was at. Is is an unbelievable get for this team. I think that was very shrewd. Well, I think there are a couple of elements here. Number one, let's talk about the defensive side of it. If you're Brent Pry, you pretty much can count on the fact that your defense's starting point is going to be the 25 yard line. I think that now helps in your planning right out of the gate as to how you want to attack things because you pretty much are assured of where your where your drive starts gonna be. Yeah. The other the other part is offensively, you now know that if you get the ball to the thirty five yard line, you put yourself in a pretty good position to get points. Now it's a question of how many between seven or three. Yeah, I mean I mean they've changed the offensive side, they've changed from yeah, we're, we're in realistic scoring range at the 23 to we're in realistic scoring range at the 35. It, it takes a first down away you have to get. And like you said, on defense, it, it adds a first down or two that, a, that, that an opposing team has to, to get to score. And, and if you look at the, the numbers overall, I think total defense, Penn State's in the 40s or 50s nationally with yards allowed per game. But they've only allowed, what, uh, 30 points, something like that, on, yes, on the season. They, they, yeah. yeah, so so I mean, teams just teams are getting yards, and then once they get close, Penn State's stifling them. And the, the reason they're getting yards because they have yards to gain. You could play a totally different style of defense in between the in between the 30s if you wanted to, and and and, and Penn State's doing that because they can because they they know that you're not getting. I mean, how often has a team started at the 40 against Penn State this year? Once, twice? It, it, it's just, it's just right. not a lot. And Stout's the, Stout's the main reason for that. And Gilligan, too, he's, he's been much improved this year now Gilligan's that he's healthy. Good year. But, but I, I, think, uh, I think Stout is, is – I mean, you can argue Stout's the MVP of the team so far, and, and, and that's, that's unbelievable. 
I mean, I think it just has a lot to do with also neutralizing great athletes. Maurice French has two career touchdowns on kickoff returns. He didn't touch the ball. Rondale yeah. Moore's coming in here in two weeks. Stout's going to make sure Moore doesn't touch the ball. Yeah. He's just going to put it through the end zone. Rondell Moore's never going to see the ball. He's going to see it on offense, but but you're, you're, that, that takes three, four touches away from Rondell Moore on a yeah. Ideally, so I, I think it's it's you know I I don't think I could overstate the weapon I, that that Stout's been. It's it's been incredible, and again, it's twofold. I mean, defensively, I think you feel good putting your team out at the twenty-five, and offensively, you're right, Donnie. You've now taken. You now don't have to get that additional first down to get points. Now you're trying to get that additional first down to to get four more points. Mm-hmm. Donnie, yeah. thanks he, so much. Oh yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I, I was just gonna. I was just gonna agree with you. He he, he changes. Yeah, he and and he changes third down calls and and, and that part of the field too. You don't want to be one dimensional on on third downs. I mean, but. But you know, the, he, uh, on third and ten, you could certainly run the ball and, and, and put it in the middle of the field or wherever Stout wants it. It's a, it changes everything. Donnie, it's always a pleasure. Great to have you with us. Thanks again, Steve. Donnie Collins, Scranton Times Tribune, Joe Rudder from the Pittsburgh Tribune final half hour. We'll come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. All right, great to be uh, with you today. Uh, HBO is coming in here the week after the the Maryland game. They're going to be on campus with Penn State uh, leading up to the Purdue game on homecoming. And this is going to be part of their 24-7 college football series. It's going to be all access. And uh, after Penn State, it's going to be Florida, Arizona State, Washington State. Uh, it'll be narrated by Liv Schreiber. Uh, and what it'll do is it'll take you inside the preparation for the game against Purdue and the game with Purdue itself. And the show will air on Wednesday, October 9th at 10 p.m. So Wednesday, October 9th at 10 p.m. So it's all week with Penn State, the week of the Purdue game, homecoming. Uh, Meetings, practices, everything that leads up to the game, atmosphere in the parking lot, atmosphere in the stadium, and then the actual game itself with Purdue. So it's, uh, in other words, a week in the life of Penn State football, essentially. Then they'll do Florida uh, after that, along with Arizona State and Washington State after that. They wanted to spread it around. They wanted to get... They ended up getting two Pac-12 schools, an SEC school, and a Big Ten school. It's a new initiative for them. I think this is terrific. Yeah, I think it's great. I think this is great for the fans. It's great for recruiting. And the recruiting part, it shows... You know what it's like to be around Penn State football for a week. So I mean that's great for recruiting, but I think it's great for the fans too because there's so many things, like for example, that I see during the course of the week that none of you ever get a chance to really see. And when you're around it every day, it does give you a completely different perspective 
And I always have to remind myself that, remember, you're, you see this stuff and, quote, they don't. So I have to always remind myself when answering questions to make sure that the perspectives are from different points of view. One that's only seeing something on Saturday versus some reasons why things are or aren't working based on what you see during the course of the week. Well, now as a fan, we get to see some of this stuff. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Joe Rudder, Pittsburgh Tribune, next on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Hey, come closer. Word has it Sunbury Motors is preparing for their biggest truck sale ever. Pick from Central PA's largest selection of new Ford trucks with savings up to $16,350 during Sunbury Motors' massive September truck and SUV sale. Over 45 2019 Ford Escapes starting at just $18,180. Four-wheel drive 2019 Ford EcoSports are slashed to as low as $17,320. SMC has up to eight grand off 2019 Ford Edges and up to a whopping $13,000 off Ford Expeditions. All clearly marked with these huge discounts. Maybe you'd better pull over and write this down. The hot, all-new 2019 Ford Ranger has discounts up to $6,500. And Sunbury Motors has 2019 Ford F-150 crew cabs slashed to just $32,909. That's a lot of slashing. SMC is where you want to be right now for the largest truck and SUV sale in Sunbury Motors' 104-year history. Hurry while supplies last, but don't tell anyone. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. All right, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Great to have you with us. It's been an interesting time for the Steelers. No Antonio Brown, no Le'Veon Bell, now no Ben Roethlisberger. Now you have Mason Rudolph, now you have Minka Fitzpatrick. So the person that we need to turn to to sort all of this out and make complete sense of it is Joe Rudder from the Pittsburgh Tribune. Joe, welcome. Great to have you with us. I've been good, and I was interested to hear that segment because I was actually in San Francisco when Barry Bonds hit his 600th home run. Were you really? Yeah, they played the Pirates. He hit it off Kip Wells in, I want to say, August of 2002. Yeah, wow. How about that? <laughs> Jeez. I still ask the same question. How do you get the 600 so fast? All right, so. Uh, well, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's get to the, the press conference. What was the overall tone of the press conference today? Uh, the overall tone was, you know, upbeat. And in fact, somebody asked, you know, about the, you know, the trade for Minka Fitzpatrick. Is that sending a message to your team that, you know, you're not giving up on this season? And Mike Tomlin bristled with that and said, you know, I don't need to send messages like that. But you know, making trades, I think everybody knows, you know, that we're still going ahead with this season. And uh, you know, he feels comfortable with Mason Rudolph under center, and he thinks the defense is going to be better with uh, Minka Fitzpatrick at free safety and. You know, they're just going to keep going along and, you know, see if they can yeah, pull out a couple wins here. friend of mine who's a, a Steelers season ticket holder just saw the crawl and it said, Steelers give up first-round pick for Fitzpatrick. And he said, they gave up a first-round pick for Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> <laughs> then when he, he was told it was Minka Fitzpatrick, he was okay with it. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, yeah, the other one would not have been a, a wise decision. No, it would not have. <laughs> uh, all right, so where do they feel Minka Fitzpatrick can fit with them and upgrade them? Well, for the short term now, he's going to play free safety. Um, you know, he moved around a lot with the Dolphins, and in fact, I think that led to some of his pleasure there, is that they were throwing him in as a uh, 200-pound hybrid linebacker, and he didn't want to play that. And, you know, Mike Tomlin acknowledges he can do a lot of things. He's very good in the as a slot corner, but they have a needed free safety now. Sean Davis is going to be out for at least eight weeks with a shoulder injury, and, you know, that Cam Kelly was not up to snuff there as the former AAF guy thrown in to play at free safety so you know this presents a, an immediate upgrade there and Mike Tomlin acknowledged they'll move him around some as he gets comfortable but right now they want him to learn that spot and that's where he can best help this team and then they brought in Paxton Lynch for the practice squad all right yeah. so the, the thought process behind that obviously at least he's played a little bit but what's the thought process there the, the main thing was they wanted to find somebody that had NFL experience and was eligible to be on the practice squad um, they didn't want to have to alter the 53-man roster anymore, and so that's why they didn't go out and get a more established guy because they like what Devlin Hodges has done in his couple months with the team, and they think that he can, you know, be the you know short-term number two. But you know, really, the practice squad thing was the reason why Paxton Lynch was signed. All right. So, what do you think of Mason Rudolph? I mean, is this a is this going to be for him? a 14-game audition to prove that he can be the future guy or not? Well, I think it has to be. I mean, you know, he's got, he's got this chance here to, you know, make the plays and, and show that he's the guy. And, you know, um, I mean, there's a lot of injury protection on Ben Roethlisberger's contract, but, you know, he'll be 38 next year. And if Mason Rudolph really steps up and takes control of this team, then you've got a big issue heading into next year and how you're going to do it. And I, I think, yeah, you know, he definitely has a chance here to solidify himself as an NFL quarterback and the future leader of this team. All right, uh, so let's get to a, a, a couple of areas. When you look at the overall uh, play of the Steelers so far, you got a two-game, it's not a big sample size, but a two-game sample size to work with here. What actually has been good for the Steelers so far? Uh, the kicking game, surprisingly. You know, after last year, uh, you know, Chris Boswell has come back strong, hasn't missed a kick. I mean, that's one of the few areas they haven't been able to run the ball. The receivers haven't been able to get open very much. You know, now you're going with the backup quarterback. And the defense really has not, you know, they've produced a couple turnovers, which is a positive, you know, against Seattle, but then they couldn't get off the field and make stops when they needed to. And they're giving up, you know, they've given up back-to-back, you know, over 400 yards of offense and 300 yards passing. So you can't say that's a positive. There really isn't much right now except for, I would say, Chris Boswell. Why is the offensive line struggled? You know, I, I was asked this the other day, and the thing, I, I mean, the only the one thing I can come up with, well, two things. One is that they're getting older. They're, they're, they're having one of the older offensive lines in the league with, you know, Ramon Foster there. Uh, Pouncey's, I think, 30 or close to it. Dylan Wave, I believe, is close to it. You know, and DeCastro's probably close to it as well. Uh, and they also didn't get a lot of work together in the preseason. Um, two of the, DeCastro and Pouncey only played 20 snaps each, I believe, in one game. Villanueva and um, who am I missing here? Foster played, I think, 50 snaps over two games. So they didn't get a ton of work, you know. I mean, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, in that, you know, coupled with the, you know, the running game getting off to a slow start, you know, it just kind of backed them up. And, uh, you know, I think it's something that can get better. But now teams are going to be gearing up for the run because, uh, you know, they, they, they figure they can stop the pass. 
Uh, Devin Bush has obviously played a couple of games back-to-back, so now you've had a chance to see him in regular season action. What are his pluses and minuses so far? I mean, he provides the speed. He can get sideline to sideline. He's not afraid to get his nose in there and make tackles. Um, you know, they've, they've, negatives are they've, they've attempted some passes over his head uh, for completions. Um, you know, he had the big fumble recovery there. But, you know, it was interesting that, you know, until Vince Williams got hurt, um, probably I think it was in the first quarter, that Devin, uh, Devin Bush had not been on the field for one snap. So I don't know what their plan was in that regard, but it looked like Vince Williams was going to be out there more because Vince Williams had the dot in his helmet right. to relay the defensive signals. And then, uh, you know, I, I think Mark Barron took that over afterwards. So I think they were, you know, I think they maybe were trying to ease back Devin Bush's playing time a little bit, but after that injury, he had to pretty much be a full go from there on out. But I mean, I think you know, it's it's you know, he's adjusting, and you're going to have these growing pains. But I think overall, he's going to be a pretty good player. Yeah, I think. But I think T.J. Watt had the had the dot on him at one point too, didn't he? I mean, he might have. But he had it. He had it yeah, in the first game. Yeah, first game. They switched, yeah. yeah, they switched to Vince Williams. Right. So, um, okay, the way the league is designed. And I'm not telling you anything, Joe. You know this better than I would. The way the league is designed, you're not supposed to have a 15-year run where you're at least in the neighborhood all the time. It's not the way the league is designed. So in some ways, has it been amazing that it's taken this long for the Steelers to be in this spot? Yeah. I mean, you know, when you look at it, with, you know, especially with the, you know, having a quarterback who had been relatively healthy for that period of time, yeah, they've been, they've been fortunate in that regard. And, you know, a few teams have done that, and you know, then you look at New England and throw that one level higher than them, and it's it's more amazing what they've done. But yeah, it's it's hard to stay consistent year in and year out, and they've been able to do it. And you know, I mean, it's it's definitely an uphill task here the rest of this season. But they're obviously not throwing the towel in, and uh, especially by trading away a first round draft pick, they don't want to trade away uh, you know a top ten pick. They want to you know win some games so that Miami's getting a pick maybe in the twenties. Right. No, ex- exactly right. And that that's how you'd like to see it work for them to this point. But, I mean, in the division, I mean, Cleveland beat the Jets last night. I suppose in the league standings that counts, right, Joe? <laughs> yeah, just like whenever you play Miami and get you know get the win there, too. Yeah, exa- exactly right. Uh, Sean Davis going on IR. Um, I know that we talked about Fitzpatrick coming in, but what does the Davis loss mean? Well, you know, it's, I don't think it's going to mean that much because he was okay last year in his first year playing free safety, but he had been hurt for, you know, he'd been in and out a lot from OTAs to yeah. training camp to the, to the preseason. You know, he hadn't been able to stay healthy, so I don't think it's that big of a loss because I don't think we've ever really truly seen what he can do, and he'll be a free agent next year, so they're, and they're, they're not going to bring him back now unless they were able to re-sign him for a, a one-year low-cost deal. But uh, yeah, there's no. Re- he's not going to get the big money he thought he might get, and they never seriously entertained extending him before the start of the season. So yeah, I don't think it's a huge loss because he just hasn't been able to stay on the field. Right. No. Exactly. All right. It Mason Rudolph in this. You know, look, there's a lot of preseason stuff in there, but to this point, what do you think he has done well when you've seen him, especially in preseason, and where has he been lacking to this point? Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't seen a ton of him yet to make that determination but i would say i mean he's he hasn't been rattled he's kind of kept his poise and composure um but you know i you know i i imagine his where his weakness is going to be is being maybe confused by some intricate defenses yeah you know maybe being thrown some things he hasn't seen before but uh, you know he seems to have confidence you know he he played okay got a couple touchdown passes against seattle um you know but you know again like 
you know, like Devin Bush, he's probably going to be going through his share of growing pains as well. He's a rookie. I don't think anybody should expect him to go 13-0 and like Ben Roethlisberger did when when he was thrust into it. Yeah, they got four in a row coming up, and then they get the bye week. And then, well, actually, they get two because they get the Dolphins after that. Uh, but <laughs> Oh, sorry. Did I say that? Uh, but the 40, they've got the 49ers on the road. What's been the general read on the Niners, who are obviously off to a decent start? Um, yeah, I mean, be able to put up points, although, you know, I guess anybody in Cincinnati can exactly. can put up points. But, uh, you know, good offense, George Kittle, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, you know, they're, they're off to a hot start. I don't know much about them per se, right. but I do know the Steelers always have trouble going out to the West Coast. And I even asked Mike Tomlin that today, if they're going to make any changes. And he said, no, really, they're just going to try to treat it like running everything on East Coast time which I think they might have done before, but, you know, they've, they're have they not going to change anything up. And, uh, you know, that doesn't bode well for them because, like I said, you know, even, you know, back in Oakland last year, everybody thought that was a gimme and, right. you know, they uh, couldn't win that one either. So, they, yeah, they very well could be 0-3 when they come back here. They do have Cincinnati the week after, so, you know, that's a positive. But, yeah, they're they're facing a pretty big hole this week. One final question, Joe, and then I'll let you go. We all know Le'Veon Bell's now with the Jets. We know that Antonio Brown is now with uh, the the Patriots. In the end, even though two extremely talented players have left that could have helped a young quarterback, are the Steelers still better off without them? Uh, they're, they're better off without the headaches in the locker room. Yeah. On on the on the field, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, you look at the receivers not getting the separation now. You look at, you know, James Conner being, uh, you know, teams gearing up to stop him. Um, you know, they've got to maybe get some more of Jalen Samuels, Benny Snow in there to kind of mix things up. But, yeah, I can't say they're a better team offensively, but I think for the overall cohesion of the group and trying to build on what they have, they may be better off in the long run, but that's not going to help them win games. Yeah. In 2018, yeah, because with a young quarterback, that's one thing about Bell and, and Brown. They're two guys that can take ordinary plays and make them spectacular. A lot of guys can't do that, and you're right. So on the field, off the field, yeah, I mean, there, there's got to be peace on earth. <laughs> off the field. <laughs> hey, Joe, thanks so much. Appreciate your time very much as always. Anytime. All right, great to have you with us on the show today. And uh, it's one thing I want to get into quickly. I think Sean brought up something that uh, I think all of us knew about, but and then you hear it articulated, and you're like, holy mackerel. This is week five of the high school football season coming up, which means – when Friday night is over with, and Sean puts a bow on the Friday night for everybody on game night, we are now halfway. Well, it also means we're halfway on September 20th. I think all of us understand uh, all of us understand that the uh, with the playoffs, they're trying to accommodate everything in order to fit the playoff format. When the playoff came out years ago, I was completely for it. I was definitely one of the individuals that was like, "Oh yeah, let's have a playoff, the whole thing." 
But then, to me, they lost control of it. And I tell the story about George Landis, and I think he was coaching Central Dauphin. And Jack and I ran into George. Well, George came, he came over to see us at a tailgate. And he's a great guy to talk to. And Jack said, he said, so where are you now with the playoffs and so forth? And this is, I don't know, three years ago, maybe two, three years ago. It's two years ago. And George says, well, he said, we still have to win five more games to win the state championship. I said, five more games? Hey, should, should your playoff run be one-third of your games between a district and a state? And I think that's where they've lost control of it. And that's where I think that um, and I I think as Greg Wetzel said, and I brought this point up before myself, so this is not a foreign point. But when eight teams make a classification, well that means you have to play three games just to get the district title. I'm sorry. No. That makes no sense. Obviously, when I played back in the leather helmet days, we did have a 10-game season. And in that 10-game season... We started in September. We played Saturdays, by the way. We did not play Fridays. They they do have lights now at our high school to play Friday night, but they didn't have lights back then. But we concluded our season, and there was no state playoff. We concluded our season on Thanksgiving morning at 10 a.m. against our crosstown rival. That was our, quote, Super Bowl. We talked about how they'd take all the bleachers and they'd ring the entire field and give it a, quote, bowl effect. But it was a big deal for us. But we ended our season on Thanksgiving, and it was plenty cold on Thanksgiving. I mean, I remember playing as a junior, and it was so cold the entire week. And we went out there, and the field was frozen. So in the first half, we played all wearing sneakers, and we'd, that, that didn't work. And then we, we shifted to our cleats in the second half, and at least we were able to at least dig in a little bit. I mean, it's always cold. And as a junior, it was a little bit, a little bit warmer. A little bit, it was a little kind of, kind of rainy, a little bit rainy that, that day, that Thanksgiving day. But that's, that's what we did. And I'm going to sense that here in the valley, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. I'm going to sense that there were a lot of high school seasons that ended on Thanksgiving with a rivalry game. For example, State College used to play Belfont on Thanksgiving Day back in the 60s and early 70s. Probably had the same thing in in the Valley with certain matchups that were traditional on Thanksgiving. Now we're starting the third Friday in August... We're hitting September 20th when we're at the halfway mark of the regular season, which means by the time we're done 
when we hit. So what would that mean, Sean? That would mean game six is the 27th. The fourth is game seven. The 11th is game eight. 1825. By October 25th, we're done? Yep. Long before Halloween. I mean, at minimum, you should at least get one game in November. One game, I mean, at minimum, you should have one game in November. And then we start this arduous process of, I mean, before you even get to the state playoff, I mean, one classification, you're going to play three games and win a district title? Are you kidding me? For my alma mater, Lock Haven, 35, 40 years ago, they would play two games in November. Oh no! I mean, in order to in order to play on Thanksgiving, we started in mid September and we ended up Thanksgiving morning. Game would get game would be finished around noon, twelve thirty. I can remember Kevin and myself going home and having Thanksgiving dinner at twelve thirty one o'clock in the afternoon with our parents after the game. And the season was over. We did not get a trophy. You know, the the school. I mean, they had the mayor's trophy, so the school got the trophy. That's nice. But as players, we didn't get anything except for the satisfaction of playing in the game and winning it. Didn't even think about going to a playoff. Oh, I wish, because because that year we lost. We were what seven and three that year. We lost three games that year. We lost to the number two ranked team in the country in the uh, state. The number five-ranked team in the state and the number 12-ranked team in the state. They're the only three teams we lost to. And I think we beat the number 15 team, something like that. But it's like... But that's we didn't think about that other stuff. Now it's going to be oh, we got to have a station thing. for news, weather, business, and CBS Sports Radio. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury and on WKOK.com.